Man, Merry Christmas. It's good to be in the Lord's house today on Christmas Eve. It's good to be all together in the Lord's house on Christmas Eve. My goodness, it's, what a blessing. God has been good to us. Today I want to remind you of, of the glory and the wonder of Christmas. and Why we celebrate Jesus' birth as the angels and the shepherds did uh, on that fateful night. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 1. We've been going through Hebrews, verse by verse, section by section, for some time now. And we're going to continue that after the first of the year. But last week, Cameron preached about the light of Christmas from John 1, verses 6 through 13. So today, I want to continue that section and walk us through verses 14 through 18 in John chapter 1 as we look at the glory of Christmas. Now, this section in John chapter 1 is probably one of the most familiar passages to uh, most of us in the scripture. You know it very well, probably. Many of you probably can quote it. Let's read this text together. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, he's talking about John the Baptist, which he referenced earlier in this chapter. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, we do love you and we thank you for your word. God, as we look through these verses today, I pray that you would um, remind us of the glory of your gospel, the greatness of what you have done, of who you are, of your nature, and who we are in you. If we've been born again, God, we, we have a tendency to get used to this Christmas story. I pray, God, that you would, that you would make our hearts come alive today. As we recount what you have done, who you are, and what that means for us, God. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These verses, verses 14 through 18, come at the end of a prologue in John chapter 1. And it continually ascends. It begins, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And it continually ascends to this, verses 14 through 18, that are meant to just, they're meant to wow us. They're meant to give us a fuller and fuller revelation of God's glory to show us who He is. We're meant to be amazed by this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. But as we read through it, and we've read through it many times, it just sometimes it just doesn't have that effect on us. We're kind of used to it. We've heard it before. We're used to the teaching, to the truth that that God became a man, was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. We know the reason for the season. It just isn't that amazing to us anymore. We've heard it year after year. We've celebrated it year after year. You probably knew what we were going to talk about before you even walked in the door this morning. But for a moment, let's take these verses. Let's look at verses 14 through 18 in John chapter 1 like it's the first time that we've ever read this story. The first time we've ever heard this truth. Let's look for a moment at Christmas 
and the gospel as if, as if you've never heard it before. And the glory of Christmas is first and foremost that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. The glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Earlier in John 1, we're told in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word is the light of the world, the creator of all things. He came to His own, but His own didn't receive Him. But as many as did receive Him, He gave them the authority, the right to become children of God. And then He says, the Word became flesh. That's what Christmas is about. God, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity, took upon himself a full human nature and was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. That's utterly amazing. God didn't just shroud himself in a body of flesh and dwell among us. Jesus wasn't God's mind wrapped in a human body. He wasn't just a man who was imbued with a special spirit from God. As that babe lay in a manger, he was fully God and fully man. And he is still God and man today at the right hand of the Father interceding for his people. That is amazing. The Word became flesh. And he did so because that's the only way possible for sinners to be saved. For sinners separated from God to be reconciled. That's the only way that atonement can be made for sin. You've heard this many times before if you've been here. But God is perfect in His very nature. In every attribute. He is absolutely perfect. He's perfect in His love. He's perfect in His mercy. He's also perfect in His justice and His righteousness. That means God by nature is a perfect judge. If his justice is not perfect, then he's not God. Perfect justice means every sin, every single sin, every breaking of God's law must receive the due penalty. That's justice. That's perfect justice. Anything less is not perfect. Anything less is not perfect justice. Therefore, It's not of God's nature. And the Bible says that there is no one, no one without sin. Romans 3 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. It says not even one. No one does good. Romans chapter 3. No one has kept the law. No one seeks after God. That means we have a problem. If God is absolutely and perfectly just and every sin must have its due penalty and every single one of us are sinners by our nature, we have a big problem. Proverbs 17, 15 says to justify the wicked is an abomination. But that's exactly what we need God to do. We need Him to justify the wicked. Us. Me. The only way that can happen is if His justice is somehow satisfied and perfect payment offered for those who have broken His law. What is needed is a perfect, undefiled, sinless sacrifice to pay the price for sin. But no human being can be that sacrifice. 
Why? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. An ordinary person can't pay for your sin if he gave his life, even as gracious as that might be, he would have his own sin that must be paid for. No one could be this perfect lamb needed to pay for the sin of the world. So if atonement is going to be made for sinners like you and I, God is going to have to do it. He is the only one perfect. He is the only one sinless, undefiled, and holy. But there's another problem. Human beings are the ones who have sinned. So for justice to be fulfilled, a human being has to pay for the penalty. A human being has to face justice. An angel can't pay for your sin. A human being must live perfectly and die as a substitute for your sin. So understand this. To bring salvation to you, to me, to sinners, only God can fulfill all righteousness to stand as a substitute. But only a man can stand in mankind's place and pay the death that is owed. How can this happen? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God the Son, who existed from all eternity past, took upon Himself a full human nature, was born in Bethlehem, laid in a manger. We celebrate this event, the birth of Jesus Christ, because this event is the Father's declaration to the world. I intend to save sinners. I intend for my Son to be that sacrificial lamb. The birth of Jesus is the Son's declaration. I will take on flesh and dwell among sinners. I will lay my life down to give them eternal life. It's the most amazing truth ever known. God became a man. The Word became flesh. But there's more. It says He dwelt among us. The word dwelt, it's, it's a strange word. It's the verb form of our word tabernacle. Tabernacle was a, the tabernacle was a tent of meeting, right? Where God's presence dwelt with His people as they wandered in the wilderness. Where the Shekinah glory of God resided. The place where, where God's people met with God. Where sacrifices were offered. Where worship was offered. John said the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Jesus is now the place where sacrifice is given. Where worship takes place. Where God and man meet and dwell together. Reconciled. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise in the Bible. I will dwell with you and I will be your God and you will be my people. Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. It's amazing. It's incredible. Our God became man. Was born. Was laid in a manger. To bring us salvation. To reveal God's glory. The glory of Christmas is that the Word revealed God's glory to us. He says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he says we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. Now you probably read that verse a thousand times. But if you read it with the picture of God tabernacling with his people in mind and saying he tabernacled with us and we saw his glory, what story pops into your mind? Exodus 33, Moses goes into the tabernacles to speak with God. Says if your presence God doesn't go with us, then don't send us. And God agrees to go with them. And what does Moses say next? 
Show me your glory. And God says, you can't see my glory. In Exodus 33, 20, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And you remember what happened? God put him in the cleft of a rock, put his hand over him, so Moses couldn't see him pass by and removed his hand so Moses could see his back. Do you see what John is saying? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we have seen his glory. We've seen God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ who was born in Bethlehem. God in human flesh tabernacling among his people. And what does that glory look like? He tells us it's full of grace and truth. Well, what does it look like to be full of grace and truth? Man, we could, we could spend a lifetime talking about how Jesus is full of grace and truth. His ministry is, was full of grace and truth. His character, his nature, his speech, his actions, all full of grace and truth. But the greatest revelation of God in grace and truth, his glory came at the cross. There we saw God's glory in both grace and in truth. At the cross, we see his grace revealed. Jesus laid down his life, his perfect life for sinners who didn't deserve anything but condemnation. Christ died for us, not because we were good, not because we had done good, not because we had potential or that we were worthy of anything. We were enemies, the Bible says, of God, and he showed us grace. The cross also reveals truth. There, at the cross, we see what sin really costs. Sin is no small thing. It's horrible in the eyes of God. Every sin, every single sin is rebellion. It's a slap in the face of God. When we make light of sin, any sin, we're spitting upon God's nature. Sin is so awful and despicable to God, he had to pour out his holy wrath on his own son to make atonement for it. It's that horrible. On the cross, you see the fullness of God's justice against our sin poured out upon Jesus. The fullness of his holiness in truth. So we've seen his glory. He's tabernacled among us. The word became flesh and we've seen his glory. It's glory full of grace and truth. And then in verse 15, he returns to talking about John the Baptist, which he did earlier in chapter 1, showing John bore witness to this fact, bore witness to Jesus, that this Jesus is God made flesh. John the Baptist's whole ministry was pointing to Christ, saying, there he is, not me, but him. That was John the Baptist's ministry. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John saw his glory and told people of his glory. That's the same calling you and I have today. There he is, Jesus, the Word made flesh. That's the one we're following. That's the one we're trusting in. There is one who can save your soul. Look to him. Go to him. The one who was born in Bethlehem and gave his life on the cross to save you and was raised from the dead. Look to him. He's the only one that can give you this grace and truth. The word became flesh to give us, to show us this abounding grace of God. 
He says, from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. From his fullness. What fullness? He just told us. Full of grace and truth. And for from this fullness, his grace and truth, we have received grace upon grace. What does grace upon grace mean? Well, it means two things. First, grace upon grace is explained to us in verse 17. We've received grace upon grace for because the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we don't normally think of the giving of the law as a grace, do we? But it most certainly is. The law shows us the nature of our God. The law shows us the depth of our sin. Paul said, if, I had, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. God gave us the law as a mirror for us to look into it and say, this is what you're supposed to be. But this is not who you are. It's a mirror that reveals our sin, reveals our rebellion, reveals our nature, our wickedness, and it reveals our helplessness and our hopelessness to ever be right before the judge of all the earth. Looking into the mirror of the law is hard, and we don't like it. It doesn't feel good to see our wickedness, to see our sin, but it is a grace that God has given it to us. The law is not intended to save you. It's intended to drive you to the Savior. The law doesn't save anyone. It was never intended to do so. It's intended to take all of your other hope away. It's intended to show you that you failed to meet every requirement of God's covenant. If you look at yourself in light of God's law, it doesn't matter how much good you've done. It doesn't matter how many people you've helped. It doesn't matter how wonderful you've done or spiritual things that you've accomplished. If you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. A million good deeds doesn't atone not for one sin. The law takes all of our hope away. It slams every door of righteousness in our face. And what it does is... It's a schoolmaster, a guardian that drives us to the only door that is open to us, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Oh yes, the giving of the law is a grace. It hurts when we look into it, but we must. That's why he says we receive grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We receive grace in having the law, yes, but now, now... We received a greater grace because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. He died and, and rose again. We don't just have a witness to Christ in the law. We have Christ. We have Him. He, His life is our righteousness. His death is our payment. His resurrection is our resurrection. I don't have to look into the mirror of the law anymore and be despairing and despondent and hopeless because now I can look to Christ and see my righteousness in Him. Amen. He kept the law for me. The Word became flesh to bring us grace in a perfect salvation. The second way we receive grace upon grace is that I don't know if you realize this, but God gave you grace even before he saved you. When you were an enemy of God, when I was an enemy of God, 
lost and undone in my sin, God allowed me to live. He allowed me to breathe his air. He allowed my heart to continue beating by the power of his word. He even allowed us to enjoy his creation, family, the good things of life that we've always enjoyed when we were owed nothing but condemnation. He allowed us to have these common grace when we were in rebellion to our creator. When we were enemies of God outside of Christ, God would have been right to pour out his wrath on us in fullness the very moment that we sinned and condemn us for all eternity. But that's not what he did. He called you. He drew you. He strove with you even as a rebel to this king. Oh, that's, a, that's grace that he showed to his enemies. But then... The Word became flesh and God convicted you of your sin by the Spirit. You were born again when you trusted in Jesus by grace through faith. And all of your sin was forgiven, wiped away. He didn't just leave you now as a blank slate with your sin gone and say, Okay, now go try harder. Go do better this time. No, He gave you a perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. And now you're clean from all of your sin. Perfectly righteous in Christ. That's grace upon grace. And then on top of that, if you've been born again, his spirit indwells you, lives inside of you. He is leading you. He is guiding you. He's training you in holiness. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says, the grace that brings salvation teaches us and instructs us to live holy and godly lives in this present world. That's grace that he would strive with us, continually growing us in holiness. His mercies are indeed new every morning. And on top of all that, when it comes time to leave this life, we'll spend eternity with him, free from the curse of sin, free from the effects of sin, from all that's wrong with this world, and he'll wipe away every tear. Oh, we have received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace because the word became flesh, full of grace and truth, and from his fullness... We've received grace upon grace. Finally, in the last verse, I want you to see that he revealed to us these, the invisible God. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Some of your translations here may say the only Son who is at the Father's side. I think God is better. It's an older reading. But hold on. I mean, verse 18 no one has ever seen God. I mean, John, have you read the Old Testament? What about the pillar of cloud? What about the pillar of fire? The Lord appeared to Joshua as captain of the Lord's army. The Lord appeared to Moses in a burning bush and said, I am who I am. What about Abraham? Didn't the Lord appear with two angels to Abraham and talk to him right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah? Yes. God has shown himself in visions and theophanies, in pillars of fire, dazzling light, in clouds of glory, John's point is that no one has ever seen the essence of God, the nature of God, the very essential nature of God. And here's the climax to the whole section. The only God who is at the Father's side, meaning the Son, He has made Him known. You want to know what God is like? Look to Jesus. You want to see God's nature? <laughs> His character, Jesus has revealed it to us. 
You want to be in relationship with the one true God. It's through Jesus. No one has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side has made him known. Listen, this weekend, we, we, we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We, we give and receive gifts. We spend time with our families. We tell the story of the baby born of a virgin, wrapped in swaddling cloths and placed in a manger. As we look down into that manger with heartfelt gladness this weekend, let's remember that the Word became flesh and God dwelled among us to bring us grace and truth, peace and salvation. Unto us a Savior was born. Unto us a son is given. Jesus didn't stay in that manger. He lived perfectly under the law of God to fulfill the covenant of righteousness. He gave his life on a cross to reconcile sinners to God. And he rose from the grave in power and glory, seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're united with him by grace through faith. That's why the angels announced good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's why the angels declared peace on earth among those whom, with whom he is pleased. The message of Christmas is this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message is simply this. There he is. There he is. Look to him. Run to him. He is our all in all. There he is. If Jesus is not enough for you, I don't have anything else to give you. If Jesus is not enough to rest in joy and peace through the storm, I don't have any more counsel for you. If the word became flesh is not enough, then nothing ever will be. There he is, the one who's altogether lovely. There he is, the one who took away my sin. There he is, the one who is coming back in glory. Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven. There he is. That's a song, by the way. See the one born and laid in a manger. And glory in his birth, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. There is one who can give you peace. Free you from the guilt of your sin. Reconcile you to God. There is one who loves you and came to die for you. To bring you back to the Father. A sinner saved by grace. Are you hurting today? Lonely today? Guilty today? There he is. Go to him. You feel like you don't know which way to turn today? There he is. Go to him. You feeling stagnant in your walk with God? There he is. There's no greater revelation of God's glory, no deeper theology, no spiritual principles or self-help things or books that you can read and apply to your life that is going to be greater in your heart than the fact that the Word became flesh for you. Amen. He gave His life on the cross for you. And in Him, you are complete, it says. If you can't find your joy and peace in Christ, you better get used to never having it. For Jesus Christ is all in all. There he is. Go to him. Christmas Eve is a perfect time. Actually, any day is. Today's the day of salvation, but Christmas Eve is 
a perfect time for you to trust in Jesus, to give him your heart and life, entrust yourself to him, that he died for my sin, that he rose from the grave for my justification, that he is all I need, that he is sufficient to present me holy and blameless before God, and I need nothing more. That is faith, that the grace of God will save you. Entrust yourself to Christ. And let's marvel that the word became flesh for us. Let's pray. Father, we do love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that the gospel is such glorious and marvelous and wonderful truth. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, hasn't trusted in you, hasn't given their life, to you, God, I pray that you would call them to yourself. That on this Christmas Eve, that you would draw them to yourself. Show them the cross. Show them the grace that's greater than all of our sin. That they would call out upon you. They would repent of their sin. And trust that Jesus Christ paid the price and that in him we're complete. God, I pray that they would call upon your name. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God, that promise is true today. I pray that you would apply it to hearts and lives in this room. Father, I pray that you would give us a sense of wonder in your gospel, in who you are and what you have done. Let us never get beyond it. Let us never take it for granted let us never see it as the baby steps or the basics or things that we need to get beyond. There is nothing greater. Father, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts today as we celebrate with our families this weekend. Let us glorify your name for you have glorified it among us. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we sing... I'm going to be right down here at the front. If you'd like to pray, if you want to come, I would love to speak with you. Trust in Jesus today.